0: How was your week? Hmm? Anyone uh, run out of town this week? Anyone threatened to be stoned? Anyone throw stones at you this week? No? no? no. I, wonder, I wonder if that's because um, we live in a tolerant society or we didn't bother to witness very much this week. I wonder which one it is it's probably both because we do live in a very tolerant society and witnessing is very difficult and it's very challenging for us to do during the week and last week Margaret Court she's had a tough week she really has and you know I remember watching Margaret Court play Uh, she was sort of near the end of her career brilliant tennis player but and you know I don't know if you know this but Margaret Court is left handed born left handed right Judy? left handed, left handed people are good she won the Grand Slams Big people like Billie Jean King playing right handed that's amazing isn't it? just a little fact there for you that's what impressed me about her when she was a tennis player. But this week, that woman really impressed me. She was brave, courageous. You know, she, she decided that she would just take a stand against same-sex marriage. And so because of that, she's now a homophobic person. She's a bigot. She's narrow-minded. And all sorts of things and i was thinking about the message today that was that was last week it happened and this week that's just gone by she hasn't backed down hasn't backed down she's sticking to her guns in the paper last week it said uh, this is a quote from them margaret court said last night uh, last night that the bible dictated that marriage was between a man and a woman, and I'm just saying what God says. That's what she—that's what she said. It's a quote. You can go and look it up in the Herald Sun for yourself. Margaret Court was perse- is being persecuted, and challenged, and ridiculed, bullied, perhaps because she's a Christian, because of what she's saying. That's exactly what's happening here in Acts 14. Exactly the same. We're going to go through it together this morning. So in Acts 4, we're up to Acts chapter 14. Now I don't know if you've noticed, and Pat has realised that himself, there are some very hard sounding cities in the book of Acts, right through. And there's about 40 different cities mentioned in the book of Acts where the gospel is preached. And uh, chapters 13 and 14 are the the beginning of the first missionary journey to the pagan world. In other words, that's when the the gospel really went out in a a very uh, deliberate way to the Gentile world. And you probably remember last week it was mentioned that uh, Paul and Barnabas were set apart uh, from a place called Antioch, a church in Antioch. Now, I've got to tell you this. There are two Antiochs in this story. There's the Antioch, which is near Syria, which is way over here. And then there's another Antioch, which is mentioned as well, which is up there. It's Antioch uh, Pisidia, in or whatever. I'm going to call it Antioch P. I'm a simple man, all right? And so we don't get confused, because otherwise we will get confused. But anyway, they were set apart... Uh, By, by the Lord. Called by the Lord. That's what it told us, didn't it? In verse chapter 2, verse 2 of verse 13, chapter 13 it said, And the Spirit, the Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. I like that because, you know, who was it that said they had to go? It wasn't the church elders or the church leadership in Antioch that said, you know what, I think we need to have a mission trip to, to, to preach the gospel. It was the Spirit of God. It was the Holy Spirit that put upon the hearts of the church in Antioch that they had to get on and do what the Lord asked them to do, to go out, preach the word, make disciples and teach them, teach them the things of God. And then I love verse 4 in chapter 13. I don't know if you remember this. It says there, and the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. I love that. Who sent them? Wasn't the church at Antioch. It was the Holy Spirit. Just think of that. Imagine if you knew, you knew that the Holy Spirit, first of all, has called you to do something, set you apart to do it, and then he sends you on your way. I'd love to be that person. I really would. Anyway, that's that's what they were doing. That was last week. And uh, in this story, in chapters 13 and 14, Paul and Barnabas visit six of those 40 cities that are mentioned in, in the book of Acts. And we're going to look at a couple of them today. You looked at one last week and it 's really interesting when you look at the the two chapters and and even chapter fifteen, which is is next week 's story, what you 're going to just see here is that there is opposition, serious opposition to the gospel, and it 's been like that since the Lord was born, wherever the gospel is preached, good or bad, you know like well or not well. There's going to be opposition. You read last week in, in chapter 13 that there were sorcerers and false prophets. You read of Jews, Jews, Paul's countrymen opposing them. In Iconium we're going to look at again Jews and Gentiles banding together against against the gospel. And in Lystra, well they thought they'd, they'd, they'd had it... Uh, Sorted. They thought they'd killed the person that was going around preaching the gospel. I hope that doesn't happen today. The gospel will always face opposition, always. Make no mistake. doesn't matter how you present it, no matter how well we do it or what sort of visual aids we have or what programs that we, we, we think is going to be well received, the gospel will always face opposition. You know, it started, it started, this opposition, from the day the Lord was born. The original message of good news. Do you remember the angels in in, in Luke 2? You know, in in the sky there, they're saying, you know, it's a great day. You know, this day in the city of David... And they said there's a thing happened and it's going to be of great joy and peace and goodwill towards all mankind. That's when the opposition started. When the Lord was born. You know, King Herod, Herod the Great, wasn't very long before he realised he's in big trouble, had to get rid of this, this baby in Bethlehem. So he, so he decided that he would have an edict to kill all the all the kiddies who are under two and then and then when the Lord was a man just before he was going to start his public ministry and tell people about the kingdom of God and how it, how it was going to be accessible to everyone, how they could have their sins forgiven, how they could be in close relationship with god yes that's got to be good news, yes. How you could have your own your own place in heaven, your name can be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What do we have? Matthew chapter four, verse thirteen. Satan himself, not an underling, but Satan himself opposes the Lord, and it's an it's an interesting event because it's mentioned in three gospels. Have a look at it, and in that and in that account, it says that that. You know, you think, oh, yeah, the Lord withstood Satan. But it says there, doesn't it, that Satan left the Lord and he hadn't finished with him. He was going to tempt him and test him again at a later stage. And so we read in the Gospels that Christ faced opposition from everybody, everybody. Can you believe that? Everybody, from the authorities, From the rulers, the King Herod and his son, you know, and 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 the rulers, you know, Pilate and the governors, the religious leaders, the high priest Caiaphas, you know, here here is God's represent, God's son, should have been welcomed with open arms by the religious leaders, by the high priest. If they do, try to put him to death. His friends and neighbours, where he lived, where he grew up, what does it tell us about that? They, they didn't, they didn't reckon him to be a prophet, little of the Messiah. His fellow Jews, his countrymen, you know, the the Jewish nation as as a, as a nation were waiting for the Messiah. They knew he was coming. John the Baptist pointed him out. Did they embrace him? No. And his family, the Lord's family. You know, it wasn't until the Lord was, was risen from the grave that his brothers, you know, James, that we read of, took him seriously. Changed James' life. He didn't think much of his brother before that. And this is really sad. Even the disciples... If you read the Gospels, you have a look at the opposition. It was subtle, but it was there, even from the disciples. In John chapter 15, verse 25, it's a very interesting passage that, if you want to have a look at it, the last half of chapter 15, the Lord said, They hated me. Strong word, eh? Hate. They hated me for no reason. And that's true. When you read the accounts... It's true. They hated him for no reason. And, then it goes, and just before that, the Lord says to, to the disciples there, the people that were following him, he says, remember these words I spoke to you. And, and this includes you and I today. He says, remember these words I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Margaret Court's feeling that this week. Hopefully some of us are feeling it as well because that means we're doing what we should be doing. We're doing what the Lord's asked us to do. So what we see here in in Acts 4.10 is what the Lord was speaking about and told his disciples about. Wherever the gospel is preached to effect, Satan will and has to oppose it. If there's no opposition... We're not effective. We're not doing the right thing. This is why there was opposition in, in, uh, in these cities. It's happening today. And Satan will use all sorts of means to provide that opposition. You know, don't you be looking for a guy with pointy horns and a tail and a pitchfork up the road blocking your path. It's not going to be like that. He's not like that. He's cunning. He's sneaky. He knows exactly what makes us tick. And he'll hinder us in any way that he can. And he does a great job to the church. He really does. He distracts us in all sorts of ways from doing what we should be doing. But not Paul and Barnabas. Not not Paul and Barnabas. I'd like to just... Highlight to you some interesting words in Scripture, little phrases. You know, in Matthew 13, God, sorry, the Lord identifies and tells us we have an enemy. And he, and, he, and he tells us who the enemy is. And He gives us, it's in Luke 19, He also tells us that He gives us the power to overcome that enemy. In uh, Ephesians six and twelve we read of of these enemies what? What sort of enemies are they? They're invisible. They're invisible. <laughs> Can you believe that? We can't really see them, but they're there. That's pretty tough, isn't it? You know, if you've got an enemy you can't even see them, and they're working against you, that's tough work. But in Timothy First Timothy it tells us that it tells us it mentions there that 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 we're soldiers we're soldiers and we're we're in a fight what does Ephesians 6 talk about does it talk about wearing the the clerical collar the royal robes you know the No. what does it talk about the armour of God that's what we have to put on that's what we're up against we need armour in Hebrews four, it talks about a sword, a two-edged sword, a sharp sword, and it tells us what it does. And in chapter uh, in uh, in Second uh, Corinthians chapter ten verse four, it tells us that we're in a war and we're to use spiritual weapons. I don't know about you, but it doesn't sound anything like what what was. Mentioned in, Acts, in um, Luke 2, you know, the peace and goodwill towards men. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel is up against. That's why it talks about these things. There's opposition. So, why is it that we expect to have an easy ride when we share our faith? That's why it takes courage. That's why we have to be brave. That's sometimes why we shirk that responsibility. Because we're scared. I I have to admit that this happened to me at times. So in Iconium, verse 4, Paul and Barnabas, it says there, as usual, they went to the the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, to tell the Jews, first of all, this wonderful news. It is, and believe me, it is wonderful news. And uh, they they actually were able to um, convince some of the Jews said it was good, and they believed, and that's great. But it says there that there were lots of Jews that didn't. And then, and then it talks about verse four that there was division, division. Do you think Do you think Barnabas and Paul were surprised by that? You know, sometimes I get discouraged by people's reactions to the gospel or to you know, a, a work that you might be doing to promote the gospel you think you know, they, should, they should say wow great that's great Ralph. thank you for doing that you know in, um, in Luke chapter 12 here it is in Luke chapter 12 I don't believe that uh, Paul and Barnabas were surprised they knew what they were up against they understood have a listen to what the Lord says in Luke chapter 12 verses 51 to 53 do not think I came to bring peace on the earth no I tell you but division from now on there will be five in one family divided against the other three against two, two against three there will be divided father against son son against son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother mother in law against daughter in law and daughter in law against mother in law the Lord himself said, This good news will bring division. expect it he's told us about it, and so Paul, uh, Paul and Barnabas they knew. And why does it bring division why should such a news such good news bring division because it's challenging the truth is always challenging isn't it? We want the truth and we say we want the truth but we don't really you know I really don't want you to tell me what you think of me truly I don't because I know, I know some of it's not going to be good, but rather you just you know just notice that I've got a nice jacket perhaps or the haircut's really good and no, no, I haven't had a haircut but the things like that I'd rather you be superficial it's easier to handle I don't want you to tell me the truth I really don't the truth judges it really does people say Christians are judgmental we're not we are not judgmental but when you tell people the truth of God the truth from the scriptures that's what judges them That's what makes it a judgmental thing. It's the word of God, that sword, that two-edged sword. Have a look what it says about it in Hebrews. That's what judges people. Of course, you know, Margaret Court is the face of that at the moment, isn't she? What did she say? Marriage is between a man and a woman, just like God says. And so the world hides from that. Tries to cope with that with spin and political correctness, but it didn't put Paul and Barnabas off. They, it says there, they continued on to speak boldly, and, and their message, their message was confirmed with miraculous signs, miracles. You know, I wish, I wish that that would happen whenever I speak. You know, the things of God to certain people. I was hoping, I would have loved to have had that ability or that thing to happen to me when I was trying to tell my two teenage daughters about the Word of God and how God wanted them to dress appropriately and not behave in this way. I could have done with a couple of miracles. I think it would have impressed Tiff and Kim. I really do. Have a look at the reaction, though. Have a look at the reaction in Acts 14 the people in the city were divided and some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles and there was a plot afoot to mistreat them and stone them. And so, after they told them the truth from God, gave them the brilliant news of salvation and God confirmed that with miracles and signs that's the reaction. Anyway, they also remembered what the Lord said about such reactions, just to brush the the, uh, the dust off the feet and, and head on to the next town. So we get to the next town in Mystra and that's an important city for Paul. He visited it three times and each occasion something significant happened there for him. It really did. I'm not going to tell you about it because it's mentions it in, further on in Acts and we don't want to spoil it for any other speaker. But on this occasion they, they come and, and they notice there's a man there who's crippled from birth. And that's very interesting because it wasn't a bloke that sort of tripped over last week or a couple of weeks ago and had a fall and, you know, and he was just limping. This man was born lame very hard to fix that isn't it even today with our medical technology that he was healed by Paul and, and it's interesting that the people there they recognise that this was a miracle it wasn't an ordinary thing and so we, we see that the people want to give the glory and, and the honour and, 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 the, and, the, and, the, and the credit to, to Paul and Barnabas and they, so they call them these, these Greek God, God names But it's really interesting to note there, and I I appreciate the distress of Paul and Barnabas. What were they distressed about? They were distressed that they were being called gods, that they were given credit for something that that, that the Lord had done. And they rent their clothes, you know, in 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 that culture. To do that, that's that's serious. You're seriously upset. But you don't read about that when they were about to stone Paul. You know, public stoning in, in, in that culture, and even it happens even today in, in the Middle East. You know, they don't just pick up stones and throw them at you. They take you to a place where stones are piled up, and they place you there. Sometimes they have to tie you down. Sometimes they half bury you, and and they and they pick up the stones and they start throwing these big rocks at you. I don't, I don't, I don't. Know if you did, you notice there was no renting of clothes whenever Paul was being led out to be stoned. They weren't distressed about that. I just love these two men, filled with the Spirit. They know what they're about. They know what they are, They should be doing, and they know their place. They've been called, set apart. And they know their place. I love it verse 19 there were some Jews who had come from from Iconium, Antioch P now from Lystra to Antioch P is 40 kilometres, 25 miles no trains no buses no cars obviously I didn't even have a stagecoach. I used to love westerns, you know. I used to love watching the cowboys in India. I know it's politically incorrect, but I used to love it watching the kids. And I used to love, I loved the stagecoach. There was something romantic about the stagecoat driving with the horses and the big wheels going around. I didn't have that. the The, the, the main mode of transport in those days was donkey and walking. So let me tell you, to walk 40 kilometres. That's serious opposition. These people weren't just going to go down there and hold up a sign, Paul, you're wrong. They were there to cause trouble, and cause trouble they did. I mentioned that Lystra was an important place for Paul. They, they stoned Paul and they thought he was dead. So, he, at, the very, at the very best, he was unconscious. Most theologians believe he was in a coma. In Second Corinthians twelve and two, Paul talks about a time of having a vision that he was in paradise, caught up into the third heaven. We only have a record of Paul being stoned once. This is it. It's the only time that Paul could have had that vision. You often hear about these people going going to the edge of heaven and saying, oh, I don't know. I don't know about it, but this is what Paul tells us. And he he was he was he was left for dead. You want a definition of bravery? This is it. Somehow he was revived. Whether it was a God thing or whatever, I don't know. But he he he, he was revived, and he gets up, and he goes back into the city. Can you believe that? Oh, he might have been getting some treatment, but I'm sure he was encouraging the believers as well. I'm going to. Do, I'm going to try. And, I'm glad my wife's not here because she would tell me off for doing this. I'm going to give you a football analogy of that. All right. Paul is the Joel Selwood of the disciples. You know Joel Selwood. Did you see him play on Thursday night? Unbelievable. The man is brave. I beg for Essendon, Okay. He's brave. Now, now, not only did did. Um, did Paul go back into the city we read as we read in the passage he goes, he goes from there he got, they go to Derby and they spend some time in Derby there and do, do their, their gospel preaching there and then and they go back they go back to Lystra it says in verses 21 and 22 that, they, that after they were in Derby for a while they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch P. That shows you love and dedication of these, these two men. Uh, most of you know me reasonably well and you know that I wouldn't take a backward step when it comes to the, to the things of God and, and, and I'm willing to preach anywhere to anybody. But if they had have done to me what they did to Paul, and I'm not just saying this to illustrate, I'm telling you, I would not be brave enough to go back to Lystra. I, would not, I wouldn't go back. I'd be scared to do that. They stoned Paul. He was nearly dead the last time. Serious. That's, that's not a story. It's a fact. Would you do that? And, and they went back because there was a reason that says that they went back. They went back to, to strengthen and encourage the believers and to appoint elders. They went back to strengthen them by, by teaching them. You know, they, they had spoken the word of God, the gospel, they believed and then they had to move on quickly, especially in Lystra. And so they went back and they started to give them some teaching, some doctrines so that they would understand the things of God. And, and they encouraged them. Now that doesn't mean, oh, well done, pat on the back. Have a think about the people, the the believers, the people that believed in Lystra. What What sort of opposition did that little fellowship face? Look what they did to the man that came and preached in the town. Paul. And so they were facing persecution as well. No doubt. And they and he wanted to encourage and Paul and Barnabas wanted to encourage them to do to carry on in their faith. And then This is important. And then they also appointed elders in every church. Now, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. They didn't appoint pastors or reverends or vicars or priests or rectors, pastors, elders. The word appoint in the NIV is the word ordained in the King James but the Greek word where it comes from it means it comes from two words meaning hand and stretch out. So it means to elect or to choose to an office by the lifting up of hands either by voting or choosing. I was a little bit uncomfortable early on in the year you know, when we elected elders and other leaders but I think it is biblical when you when you, when you do it in 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 the with with God's intention in mind. And it's interesting when you observe in the New Testament, in, in the Book of Acts in particular, that, that New Testament elders were godly men and they were exercised uh, to they were they were to exercise spiritual leadership in the local church, in their own local church. In the book of Acts elders were not appointed by the church uh, so, not appointed to it to the church when it was first formed. I don't know if you noticed that. It's really interesting because you know they, they they start a church in a place in in, 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 the, in the in the in the cities that they visited, and then they move on, and they don't they don't appoint elders then. I, don't, I was amazed when I noticed that and in, and in Titus we, at our home group, we, we did Titus uh, this week we finished Titus and, and Paul says to, um, to, to Timothy there, uh, to Titus rather he says I want you to go and, and, and do the things that we haven't done yet or the unfinished business let me just read it to you because I'll misquote it and uh, he, says, he says to them verse 5 the reason I left you in Crete is that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So you can see that that there's a method, there's a method, a pattern there, and 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 rather than quickly appoint an elder or elders in the churches, they resisted that and left the church to through its own devices, so that it would become evident who these the elders would be, and and the elders were always appointed in, in the in the in the book of Acts by an apostle or a delegate, and and the reason for that, why why is it? So so does that mean you can only no? Doesn't mean you have to have an an elder, uh, an apostle or a, or a a delegate, you know, to because there was no written qualifications, you know, you know it, it it's so simple. They didn't have Timothy or Titus to recognise elders with. They didn't have that. We have that. They didn't have it. So, so they had to stretch out their hand and say, that one, that one, and that one over there. They're the men. But today we, we no longer need the apostles or the delegates. We have First Timothy 3 and Titus to be, so that the people of God can recognise who the elders should be. Now, we have we have an apostolic pattern here in, in, in two aspects. One, how a church is formed, and two, how to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel, teaching the converted, establishing and strengthening churches and, and the people that, that claim they believe. That's what we want to do here at Monty too, isn't it? You know, we want, we want people to, to be blessed, you know, to, to, to feel that they belong, that they believe in the things of God and that they become members of, of this church. In verses 26 and 28 we have the end of the first missionary journey to the pagan world. And they go back to the original Antioch. I thought Antioch, Pete, that's the big Antioch, you know, the one near Syria. And they give a report. And it's interesting. I want you to note that because it, it, it's important to notice the reaction of the church at Antioch because something else really significant will happen next week. But it's interesting. It says there that they, um, they stayed there a long time. And theologians from, I don't know how they worked these things out. I've never really understood it. But they, they reckon they were there for between one and two years before chapter fifteen happens. So what is it that we learn from this chapter? Sometimes, especially the Book of Acts, it's very historical, isn't it? It tells you what happened. It's facts hard to have an application. I don't think that's the case here. I think what we can see here that we can take away today is that first of all the gospel must be preached. In spite of opposition and when it is preached effectively, there will be ex- uh, opposition. Expect it. Expect it. Send a little prayer up, hoping that it's not stoning, because, you know. But we, we do live in a very tolerant society. We've seen what can happen when you stand up for God. They call you names. Wow. I, I, know, I know it can be hurtful. People call it, I know it does hurt. I, I acknowledge that. But, but you know, would you rather be stoned or called a name? Hmm? So that's the application I'd like to leave with you this morning. Let's be brave. Let's tell people about the Lord. Tell them what he's done for you. It's very important. I'd like to leave you with this verse from John 16. That's at the end, continuing on the story that the Lord was telling about the, you know, how the world hated him. And he says in John 16, verse 33, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. The Lord said that. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what the Lord says. And we belong to him. Amen? Amen.